let's beat something out of this rigid, malformed, penetrating comic. Welcome back to Check This Please, a podcast where we are reading through the webcomic Check Please to talk about what the fuck happened in this comic and why didn't we figure it out while it was in the middle of posting. Today we are going to be looking at comic 1.15, Lardo. This is the first comic in Biddy's second semester at Samwell. This comic originally posted on April 20th. Oh my God, 2014. And uh, I'm Secret OMG, who's with me to talk about Lardo and uh, 420 Man. Hi, I'm Tomato Blaze It. Oh God. I can get into my weed related feelings at another time. I would smoke more, but it doesn't treat me nice. In one of our earliest episodes, you asked what kind of pot would Biddy smoke? Have you ever come back around to that? I haven't, but I should think about it more. All right, well, we are back at Samwell for spring semester 2014. Biddy's vlogging once again, and he's telling everybody about how he's gonna meet Lardo. Anyway, he's, he's uh, recounting a story about how he's standing in the kitchen at the house, yelling at the oven. He's named the oven Betsy. And then somebody really cool-seeming in a denim jacket shows up and is like, where's Shitty? And Biddy is caught off guard. And it turns out that, yes, this is Lardo. And uh, Shitty tackles her pretty much immediately. Then Jack comes in and is like, oh, very pleased to see her. They hug. And then uh, Biddy is like, wow, I'm surprised that you're this person. And she says, yes, you probably thought I was a big white man because all the stories about me are about me being an obnoxious frat bro. And then we get a flashback to Shitty Ransom and Holster telling Biddy at a kegster a story about how Lardo is an obnoxious frat bro who burps in people's faces, I guess. That's this comic. Hello, Lardo. What a joy. We also have a secondary, extremely important introduction here. We meet Betsy the Oven. Who Lardo immediately points out is a very bad oven. How do you feel about Biddy personifying the oven and talking to the oven and being like, now Betsy, don't you sass me? Or actually, I think he was sassing it. Like, on the one hand, do I talk to inanimate objects? Of course, all the time. But on the other hand, I find there's something like cloyingly, gratingly cutesy about being like, oh, Betsy. And what I want to know is, is this an affectation that Betty puts on in case someone sees him? Or is this like a real communing with the oven? I think my answer is that it's an affectation. But unfortunately, I think that probably it's meant to be something he actually does. Because, you know, he's, he's just like a little cinnamon roll. Uh, let's talk about a non-cinnamon roll and talk about this weird comic and Lardo's introduction, which you have pointed out has a really weird structure. Yeah, so the structure of this particular strip is that Biddy starts by vlogging. Nothing weird there. Then we get the meat of the actual episode where Biddy meets Lardo. And then the end of the strip is a flashback to Biddy being told about Lardo 
in the past, you know, probably at some point in the fall semester, that just happened. And the reason why you need to do that is because she was not mentioned previously at all. Actually, she was mentioned once before. She was mentioned in the first closet story strip where somebody says something about Shitty holding out for Lardo, and that's why they're not getting him a date for the screw. However, this scene in this comic is only necessary because this scene didn't take place at any time before in the strip. And I would make the point that a scene of Shitty, Ransom, and Holster telling Biddy about how Lardo is is a much weaker decision than showing how Lardo is now that she's actually standing there in the strip. But what are you going to do, I guess? Make a podcast where you shit on choices like this. I think there's something that could be kind of like a fun characterization note if this had been actually at all seated throughout semester one. Like, if we had seen this scene at a kegster actually when it happened, I think that could have been an interesting mythology building in the same way that there's sort of like mythology building around Jack's dad before we meet him. And because we spend significantly more time with Lardo than with Bad Bob, it would actually be a worthwhile investment of narrative time and energy into building like a bit of mythology about Lardo before she subverts all our expectations. But that didn't happen. So, uh, you know, you gotta summarize in the summary, I guess. As we all know, that's a classic, really compelling way to characterize somebody. Well, you want to know what I literally just realized, like, as you were talking? Yes. We never actually see Lardo doing any of this broish behavior that is described of her by other characters. You never actually see her belching or see her playing Pong, really, or doing anything of this sort. It's like, it wouldn't be cute if it were being depicted. It's only subversive as an idea, maybe. But to actually see a small woman doing these things isn't something that like people want to see or the artist wants to draw. Yeah, I didn't think about that either. I think there's one time where she's wearing those shades, those plastic shades, and she's getting her picture taken with a certain cowlick that's a little bro-y. But other than that, she's quiet and makes art and occasionally makes snarky comments and doesn't seem to be particularly fratty. Yeah, there's actually a commission of those two characters, Lardo and another guy. There is a picture of them playing beer pong together, and the picture, if I recall correctly, because I'm just remembering this now, is of her getting ready to throw a ping pong ball. But it's like the moment before she's actually playing, it's like she's getting ready to actually toss. You're not actually seeing her do anything. And you're certainly not seeing her like, burp in people's faces. So I guess this is only charming as part of her mythology and not charming as actual behavior, which is interesting. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think we're gonna, we have a lot to say here, I think. So possibly we'll touch on some of these things. But yes, it's interesting that this is a character who is almost entirely mythology. She does not really do anything in the actual uh, comic, really. What's interesting about this strip to me is that this is the first and I think actually the only moment where I remember like what I actually thought during my first read of the comic. I concretely remember thinking the following. Number one, oh my god, not another fucking character. I 
couldn't possibly care about anyone new. My brain is closed to new people. I don't have the capacity to like accommodate anyone else in this cast. And also I definitely thought she was a dude. I literally was like, oh God, this small obnoxious little man character is being introduced. I can't deal with this later. I think it's interesting because Compared to what the cast would become, and you'd better believe that I can keep track of literally all of those fuckers, it was very, very small at this point. So I think it's kind of amusing that I thought like, oh God, not a sixth person when we eventually got up to like 70. It's not that many. I don't know. Maybe I'll count for next episode. I thought that was interesting. And then she's obviously a girl. And I don't know why I thought she was a dude, but I just literally thought she was a dude. I did not think she was a dude after this strip, so I'm not sure. But if you're reading quickly, you could just glance at it and be like, all right, sure. And and it's not immediately that clear. I also think there's something kind of interesting about this strip in that we've talked a lot about how the characterization of these friendships tends to be in the paratexts. And do you think that this is doing characterization work? If it's doing any work at all? I think possibly the most significant thing that is happening here is that it's showing Jack hugging her. I think it's demonstrating that it's possible for Jack to have relationships with people who aren't other men on his hockey team and that he can show affection to people at various times. Keeping in mind that we are still very early in this comic and I think it's highly possible that most readers hadn't seen him do that up to this point. So in a way, I think this is good characterization for Jack because it's a sort of early but demonstrative piece of evidence that he is capable of just not being a total asshole. He can sort of widen himself to have normal friendships with people. I don't know that the rest of the comic really substantiates very well that Jack and Lardo have an especially close friendship, but uh, as of this strip at least, he has interacted with Lardo more times than he has interacted with Shitty. But in terms of like, who is Lardo and what do we find out about her? Like, again, everything that you find out about her is said by another character about her, in some cases while she's standing there. But if you just took her out of the strip, you would get literally the same and the same kind of information about Lardo. Like her presence here has nothing to do with what you learn about her. I guess you also learn a little bit about her relationship with Shitty, which is that they're close enough that they Skype while she's in Africa and they text each other and he just casually told her to like drop by the house he'd be around. So I guess you're learning that they have like some kind of close friendship but again all of that information could have been presented without her physically being in the strip which isn't me saying she shouldn't be in the strip it's just me saying like the way in which this character is being used is uh, not necessarily super important to the actual story. Right. I think this begins the pattern that you have mentioned before and we will continue to look at where Lardo is a character who we all like and care about and are intrigued by, but whose story is ultimately not that present, even in strips where she is actively being introduced, which is a really interesting characterization take. I feel like we learn more about Jack in some ways in this strip than we do about Lardo, and that's just worth thinking about. You have also 
mentioned that there was no replacement manager while she was in Kenya. Yeah, um, I would have to dig up the, I, I think it's in some like Q&A posts that Ngozi did at some point, I believe somebody asked who was the manager while Lardo was studying abroad and, and Ngozi just said nobody, there wasn't one, which I can understand why she wouldn't want to like put any effort into coming up with any more information about this, talk about something that's not relevant to the actual story. But uh, that does sort of beg the question of why they have a manager at all the rest of the time. If your sports team can get by without having somebody managing it for six months, can't it get by without having a manager at all? And just to be clear, this is most likely a paid position. It's probably some kind of work study or salaried position paid by the school or the athletic department or something. Doesn't make a lot of sense from a position of like, if you could save that money for one semester, why not just save that money every semester? We do see her doing things or we see it being applied that she actually does do things that are like managerial for the team. Whatever, it's just a plot hole. It's not that important. I wish that there was a little more discussion of what she actually did because we see her sort of walk around competently with a clipboard, but we have very little understanding of the day-to-day life of the Samuel men's hockey team actually for a group of people who keep showing up and whose ice rink we keep spending time in there's actually very little logistical information and maybe that's because it's not that interesting but as we continue to explore Lardo and think about how her story is not centered and her life is not centered and frankly nothing about her is really centered even though she's a major major character or at least seems to be one it's kind of interesting that her role on the team is really not explored at all like she seems to be doing managerial things but what are those things what is she good at what skills does she have I don't know she can paint and she's good at listening to Jack I guess not that we ever really see them talk it just seems to be implied and well we'll get into kind of what we actually know about Lardo but I don't know. I would kind of like to know what she thinks about managing all these sweaty men. So thinking through what we do see, in a couple strips, we'll find out that she organized the recruitment weekend for the incoming freshmen. In a comic from the end of year two called A, we'll see her sort of standing in a hotel lobby in the background talking to the coach, which I think sort of implies that she arranges the logistics of the roadies that the team goes on. We also see her at the beginning of year three distributing equipment to the incoming freshman class 2015-2016. So it's possible that she keeps track of equipment, but you'd think that would be like an equipment manager who would be its own person, but I will admit here to not having researched how many different personnel are affiliated with an NCAA hockey team. Sorry. Something I did do a bunch of research on though is um, the concept of the chop, which is the haircut that Lardo has gotten while in Kenya or before coming back to Samwell. It is based on something called the Wellesley Shop, which is an actual thing. It's a short, drastic haircut that students at Wellesley get. Wellesley is um, an all-women's college. And um, I guess they give it to themselves or they get it from somebody else. This is like a fairly well-attested thing. 
Apparently, it's also a thing at Mount Holyoke, where they call it a moho chop, which to me sounds kind of like the name of a hamburger, maybe like something that has like a a smoky sauce on it. But um, as far as I'm aware, I can't find any evidence that it's a thing at Yale. So unlike a lot of things in Samwell tradition that seem to be kind of cribbed from Ngozi's experience, this seems to be something that's being borrowed from the culture of another liberal arts school in Massachusetts. What's interesting about the Wellesley shop and I think possibly also about the Samwell shop is that it has a very strong queer association. So like when you're at an all women's college, cutting your hair off as a gesture is very particular and significant because women in hair is a politicized topic and actually women's hair as a matter of identity construction is something that has a relationship going back to antiquity. You might be better positioned to like speak to this directly than than I am, but hair is a way that people signal identity. Like what you do with your hair can tell other people a lot about you. Yeah, well, to the point, the first time that we hung out, I think I had a pixie cut. And it was specifically because I was like, well, I don't want to come out to anybody more than I have to, but I want people to assume things about me. I guess one thing I can do is chop all my hair off. So that's just in a really personal way, my own relationship to this. But I also think something specifically about, as you mentioned, this association with the CHOP and a women's college. The Seven Sisters Colleges, which include Mount Holyoke and Smith and Wellesley and I don't remember some other small liberal arts colleges in Massachusetts. Several of those colleges are associated with a very strong queer community. And so to borrow something from this specific practice, which has to do with lots of things. I mean, we can go into like the sort of symbolism of cutting your hair off, but we all understand various aspects of that. To take something from this sort of women's college experience, this milestone or this kind of like identity construction and just piecemeal it into Samwell without thinking about its context is part of the comic's weird relationship to queerness and identity construction more broadly, I would say. And part of what I was thinking about when you brought this up was how many people read Lardo as queer. And whether or not that's true, there's nothing in the comic to suggest she is or isn't. You can certainly read her that way, or you cannot. I mean, there's not enough information about her to confirm either way. I don't know. I find like there's something really strange about taking this piece of women's colleges and then sticking it in a co-ed college without kind of thinking about how the context is really different. So the seven sisters are Mount Holyoke, Vassar, Wellesley, Smith, Bryn Mawr, Barnard, and Radcliffe. Vassar is now co-ed and has been since 1969. Radcliffe doesn't exist anymore. It was the sister college of Harvard, but it has basically been subsumed into Harvard. So it is now one of the constituent colleges of Harvard. It's not its own educational institution. You cannot apply to Radcliffe. You've mentioned, and I agree, that the chop happens to multiple characters in this comic throughout various strips, including Biddy and then Shitty. And then what does that do to this particular like marking of identity if it tends to be associated with queer womanhood or if not womanhood, then queerness, but not usually gay men's queerness. And then once you throw Shitty in the pile, he's a straight guy. So that has nothing to do with 
queer identity construction. Yeah, or just womanhood. Like, what's the word? Womanness, womanhood. I mean, even if you are not queer, even if you are a cishet woman, it makes a statement about your gender performance to have short hair. And of course, it's 2020. So women have been having short hair in many different forms for a long time. And depending on how it's styled, it's considered in many cases socially acceptable. We're not talking about you're going to get stoned or banned from the village or anything like that. However, Still, long hair is most closely associated with femininity and short hair is most closely associated with masculinity. So to be even a cishet woman who cuts your hair off, especially if you've had long hair or, you know, medium length hair for most of your life, people are going to notice and they are going to read that gesture from you in a certain way. Even if you've just decided it's summer or it's a fucking lockdown and I don't want to deal with my hair right now, you're basically making the statement that like, I've decided that not dealing with my hair and convenience to me is more important than being perceived as ascribing to this traditional marker of womanhood. To that point, Biddy does get the chop at a certain point. Uh, Actually, it's at the end of this year. So it's the summer between his freshman and sophomore years. And I will say that the hair look that he ends up getting with kind of shaved back and sides is a slightly gayer look than the one he comes to Samwell with. But it's also not a particularly dramatic or shocking haircut, really even on its own merits. His hair is not long. It's just a little bit shaggier than it is before he cuts it. So it's not making that big of a statement. And also men are supposed to have short hair. So when he does it, he's just kind of conforming to an expectation that already exists. And then if you really want to talk about conforming to an expectation that already exists, shitty gets the fucking chop. First of all, yes, this is an example of appropriating a queer lady tradition to tell a story about a cishet man. But what's so incredibly weird is that the story that's being told about Shitty when he does that is him deciding to conform in many senses, but also including gender expectations. But it's basically to placate and please his conservative grandparents who think it's unkempt for a man to have long hair because they were culturally formed in 1967, I guess, and were super shocked by the fact that all those hippies burned their draft cards. I don't know. It's weird that this thing that begins as a gesture that's taken as a rite of passage in becoming a member of a a queer women's educational society is co-opted and appropriated basically as like a marker of performing basic masculine grooming. It's uh, a little weird. You just blew my mind because as you were talking, it occurred to me that that is a microcosm for something that happens over and over again in the comic where identity construction and conformity is questioned and pushed and thought about. And then ultimately the happiest ending is to conform. The happiest ending for all of these characters, according to the canon, is to 
do what they are quote unquote supposed to do to ascribe to a set of particular goals or attributes of maturity, which are usually aligned to partnering and becoming like productive capitalist members of society and to conform ultimately to expectations about what adulthood should look like that follow a pretty normative pattern. Of course, I'm not suggesting that like the main characters are less queer for this, but it happens that their narrative of queerness is a particularly conforming narrative to what one might expect from any sort of story about people following the milestones of American adulthood, i.e. graduating from school, getting a profession and getting married. So that's really interesting to me to see that the seeds of how this questioning of sort of what is quote unquote normative or what I thought was going to be questioning of what was quote unquote normative in fact becomes a symbol in service of conforming ultimately. Well, I guess the one thing I'd say in response to that is at some point in there you said it doesn't make them any less queer, but I don't want to place myself on one side of this or another, but there is debate over like what it means to be queer. Is it just a synonym for like the entire rainbow of a like LGBTQ plus non cishet identity? Or does it mean something about the way that you relate to and interact with other people and society and the economy and social structures? And I think that's like way too big a question to address here. Certainly you see this in critiques of mainstream gay culture and mainstream gay figures all the time. Like I know there were even over the earlier part of this year, many pieces of, you know, writing on the internet about like Pete Buttigieg is gay, but he's not queer. You make a good point. So maybe what I mean to say is, I also will not step into that debate right now, but it doesn't make Biddy and Jack less in a relationship which does not conform to heterosexual expectations. However, in many ways, doesn't their relationship conform to heterosexual expectations? And it's worth thinking about that. This is the fucking Ouroboros of heteronormativity, homonormativity is is something not normative merely because two people of the same gender are doing it instead of a man and a woman. I mean, I can answer that question, no, but whatever. I I would also point out that after she cuts his hair off, after he gets the chop, he doesn't grow his hair back out, he just keeps it short. And then Lardo gets the chop here, but... Then she just spends the rest of the comic growing her hair back out. And then by the end of the comic, she just has, I mean, I don't know, I, I don't want to use the phrase like regular women's hair, but you know, she has like a more feminine hairstyle for the rest of the comic. She doesn't keep it short or whatever. My question would be, what is the point of this? What is the point of her getting this haircut? I guess it's Samwell. They just use the phrase, the chop means like getting a haircut, cutting your hair off. It has no particular meaning or significance. It's just like, you got a haircut, whoever you are and why ever you did it. That seems to be the case to me. You know, I wonder whether, how do I say this? I think a lot of the construction of this first year, as I'm thinking more and more about it, there's something about the episodic nature of this first year, which is making me realize how much 
felt strung together at the time. And again, I think that's not only because of the comic, but it's because of these other paratexts that were going on at the same time that on revisiting are actually just sort of snappy or fun in the moment and then don't make sense in the long term. And I think this introduction of Lardo is one of those things. Why would you even introduce the chop? It doesn't matter. I mean, sure, it does. We talk about characters and their own self-perception and construction and cutting their hair, fine. But really you could say, hey, you got a haircut and it would be just as impactful as the chop, except in the way that there's a specialized vocabulary that Ngozi has been creating for Samwell, including words like swasam, which we haven't talked much about yet, which we don't have to talk about because guys, it's so awesome. It's fine. Or it's something like that. It doesn't matter. But we can talk about it when we get to the strip where Shatter is introduced and he says swasm and Lardo is like, how do you know that word? Sure. But really, you could just say awesome and it would be fine. So I think this is one of those things that feels like almost like branding, like PR for the comic, like a a code that the readers can tap into and feel like I understand Samwell, I know the specialized vocabulary these people use, but it really does not matter. Unlike the chop as it stands in the real world, where it represents a certain action in a certain context. I would accept that maybe at Samwell, the chop means the same thing that it means at Wellesley. However, they are so out of the loop on the hockey team that they're just constantly straining to co-op language that they don't even know what they're talking about. All right, I love that. All right. But I mean, to your point, like we have never seen Lardo before and indeed we do not know anything about her. So understanding that she got a haircut means nothing. We don't know what her hair looked like before. So why do we care what her hair looks like now? I think there's also something about the haircut as part of why so many people like Lardo and we we can get into that. But if I think about her construction as If I think about her introduction, this woman who is, I don't know yet, but is an art student and indeed dresses like an art student as much as that means anything, which it really doesn't mean very much. Uh, And she is very different from any of the other people that we've met so far in the comics. So she's very much set out of water, much like Biddy, right? There's something exciting about that. When you add the fact that you got a haircut and it means something, that's, A quick pathway in a comic which already has gay characters in it to potentially reading her as queer. And I think that I have almost never seen a version of Lardo which is not some version of queer, even when she's in a relationship with someone who is maybe not queer, who is usually shitty. And I wonder whether this moment and her obvious parallels with Biddy and Jack's delight in her friendship, apparently according to this hug, and the fact that her nonconformity in some sense is being commented on in her introduction is part of why she's so kind of beloved, even though none of us know anything about her. Yeah, so I think it's worth just clarifying here that there is literally nothing in canon to indicate that Lardo is anything other than cishet, aside from the fact that she looks kind of gay. But she's also an art student, So that in itself doesn't really mean anything. And on the outline I wrote, for example, Jack looks kind of straight. Kind of. Yeah, listen, the only dude I ever see her shift with at all is shitty. I think it's possible that that's because 
the comic is very clear about Lardo shitty, like even though it actually is never clear about it and completely manages somehow to never confirm it actually. It's pretty direct and obvious about the fact that these two characters go together. But there's tons and tons of shipping of her with basically every lady character, even lady characters who are not indeed even characters like Camilla Collins. People just really want her to be queer. And um, I've also read some really good fic about her being non-binary or her, you know, having different kinds of gender experience, which are usually pretty interesting takes as well and you can totally see from like the way that she is constructed and the way that she is introduced why people would come up with that reading but again it's just not ever built out at all anywhere period and to that point I would make a observation that it would be really fucking helpful for this comic if she were, because we get to a point at which Biddy is friends with her on the same team while he is in the closet in terms of his relationship with Jack. And that becomes a plot point and having a confidant who is also queer, but sort of outside of like the framework of the guys on the hockey team would be a really useful thing in terms of building out your plot if you chose to take it in like all sorts of different directions, but it just doesn't happen. Yeah, it's kind of like this thing where you would have expected that one of the people who came out to shitty during his sophomore year was Jack, but then it's just not, and the fact that he said that means nothing. I'd also make the point that, like, this is one of these things where Lardo could be queer and also be in a relationship with shitty or hung up on shitty. Like, this is one of very few things where you could literally have your cake and eat it, too. Being attracted to one man and being a queer woman are not mutually exclusive. Like, in all sorts of different permutations. Just, you know, for a comic that all of a sudden at the very end of the comic, like, got real, you know, LGBT happy in terms of, like, Ollie and Wix, like, but just, I don't know, just, but why, uh, whatever. I won't go too far into this, but I originally thought that Jack had been one of the people who came out to Shitty the week before Biddy did, uh, as we've discussed, and then when that isn't necessarily the case. Okay, fine. I think it would have been really, really interesting if Lardo knew and Shitty didn't. Like, that would be a really interesting way to explore the tensions between those characters. And there, it's almost explored. There's a hint of that possibility, and then it gets trounced right over for other things. I like Lardo as a character. Why does Lardo exist? Is it just because we needed another woman character who was on screen sometimes? Is it because the comic was mostly full of white men with one black character and that's about it? Like, is that why? So I'm not sure, but it seems possible. I really do genuinely think, again, there's no way to prove this, that Lardo was added belatedly merely to address the fact that there were no women in the cast. At the same time, she's hugely symptomatic of something that starts to happen a lot with this comic, which is people being introduced and then not developed, adding nothing, could be removed from the comic and it would change nothing about the story. 
Lardo, because she is part of this sort of first generation of characters, is around for long enough and in enough paratextual material that I feel like I know her and I feel connected to her and I like her and she feels like part of the original group. I want to read fan works about her. I like to see fan art about her. If Ngozi draws a picture of her, I'm really excited, which isn't the case for like all of these other schmoes who are introduced later. I could give an F about Bully the Naruto fan. Wait, no, it's Hops is the Naruto fan. And I believe it's pronounced Naruto. How dare you? You know, I could give a shit about that guy, even though his relevance to the comic is the same as Lardo's relevance to the comic. It's just that Lardo's been around for so long that she feels like part of the group, even though she's got nothing to do with the story of the comic. At this point, I do want to say that I feel like most of what we've been doing on this podcast is saying, we'll talk about this when we get there. To the extent that I thought to myself, if we had a Patreon, we could sell shirts that said that. Literally, I thought that. I mean, we don't have any plans to, but let us know in the comments if you want one. Having said that, one thing that we have at this point said, we'll come back to it when we get there, is Lardo, basically. We started talking about Lardo a bit when uh, Biddy's mom was introduced in the uh, Family Weekend comic. I guess it was what, 1.9, maybe? Now, now we've gotten to Lardo, and I'll reiterate the things that I said about Lardo at the time. She is like the most depicted, most present female character in this comic. So regardless of what we know or don't know about her, like, she is physically here the most. Still, if you deleted her from the comic, it would not impact the story at all. Think about if anything she does that changes a character's mind or changes what somebody is planning on doing or impacts the plot or reveals information. She has nothing of that sort going on in this story. This is something I've been holding on to for a really long time because it was like one of the first instances where I started to realize how much extra dead weight was in this comic and the extent to which the law of conservation of characters was just like not being practiced. Like this character who is a fundamental part of the cast, like of the branding of the comic, is a complete waste of time and space. Every moment that she's being depicted, you should have been doing something with Jack and Biddy so that most of their relationship building wasn't in the fucking tweets. I'd rather that you don't introduce a female character than introduce one who is going to be pure representation in the sense that they're constantly standing around, but they never actually do anything. Actually, I don't know. I don't know if I would want to, like, lose this character. I like her a lot, so maybe I have to walk back from that. She's, like, test case A for what goes wrong with this comic to me. That I will stand by. I think the frustration of seeing this character who has the potential to be really interesting, both as maybe a narrative foil and just as someone with her own arc, and then to see it ignored in service of like, what, another comic about mini pies, you know? I mean, I think she does show up around that time with her clipboard, but she could not be there. And the, as you said, the strip would progress in precisely the same way. It's not that I don't want Lardo there, 
And there is something to be said for the way that a group of fragments or pieces of information slowly coalescing about a character can, can form an interesting story about them. It's just that in this case, that doesn't happen. She shows up, she is a fun visual difference from any of the other people in the comic. She says something snarky once in a while, but actually most of the time she's silent or most of the time when she says something, it doesn't impact the plot as you've mentioned. Her quietness is something I've noticed about her as a character and that frustrates me for reasons we can continue to get into. Even though there's nothing wrong with her character being quiet because she's not a real person and because she's like the womanhood representation in the comic, this is obviously a bit troubling. There's a comma somewhere in here, but I've lost where I'm going. Anyway, the point is that she's a really interesting or potentially interesting character who has all these marks of being different than the rest of SMH in a cool way, but because she never gets developed, it just becomes this non-starter or this kind of, I don't even know if that's the right word, but this kind of checklist character. And I think one of the reason I like her so much is the little glimpses of what she could be and what I have filled in the gaps with because I like her. But what's actually in the comic is just not that compelling on its face. And that's really frustrating. I also just want to point out, I love the fact that Jack hugs her. That's like really great. I'm fascinated by the fact that the first woman character who isn't Biddy's mom is introduced with physical affection. We haven't really seen that elsewhere. And it's pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting to think that, like, Jack feels comfortable expressing affection toward this woman in a way that he doesn't feel comfortable expressing affection to these other guys who are, like, his bros. But it's also, again, not really explored in the comic at all. And I cannot hesitate to mention that... Jack and Shitty are supposedly best friends. And not only do they never hug like this, they don't even, like, have an interaction until the end of this year. So, again, something where it's an interesting contrast that I would think was really smart if I believed that the comic was bringing this up intentionally, but I don't believe it is. Right. And when I first read it, I thought it was. I thought that this would be further explored. Well, it's just not. I mean, again, I like her a lot, but I think it has to do with like the kind of character I imagine her to be based on the people I know and the experiences I've had and the media I've consumed rather than what we're told about her in the comic. Like, I know lots of artists, I know lots of art students, I know lots of people at college, I know lots of women who have short haircuts. I Actually, I know a lot of people who grew up in Boston. I can make a lot of guesses about what sort of person this is, but it's all based on context clues about how I relate to this sort of person in the real world rather than anything that the comic is telling me. And to a certain extent, that may be to the comic's credit. Like, we're constantly talking, or maybe it's more accurate to say you're constantly talking about the way in which the comic uses genre to do whatever storytelling it's actually doing because it knows that the audience has expectations. So it's possible 
that one thing that the comic is being smart about is the fact that most readers are probably more familiar with college BFA students than they are with like NCAA Division I hockey teams. So this is a point at which you don't need to do a lot of explaining about what certain parts of her life are like because you can just guess. You see what she looks like and you can just guess. So it's possible that it's just kind of being intelligent about how to economize what it wants to say about her. That said, again, it can't be emphasized enough, like, to what point? So her arc in this comic is she has a crush on Shitty. It's implied that she and Shitty get together, but it's never directly addressed, and it's definitely never considered, like, from her point of view. Interestingly enough, it is something that people tease Shitty about, but we never hear her actually make any, like, statements about how she feels about anything. She doesn't appear to have, like, opinions. There's a point at which, near the end of year three, where we're encroaching on her graduation, that she snaps at somebody for asking her what she's going to do after college. But it's never actually followed up on. Then again, it's implied in one post-comic extra that she sold one pricey commission to a hotel, like a big picture of a dick. I like that extra, but it's also like, I mean, how much could that work have netted? Like a couple thousand dollars? Maybe if it was like really generous, like $10,000? That's not like a year's salary, you know? What is she doing? What is she up to? We just have no idea. You made an interesting observation about, well, I guess the first thing I'd say is that the kind of end of her story, I guess, is that she ends up after graduation, like moving in with her boyfriend and like two of their college friends. And then one random roommate who is essentially nobody. So that's the end of Lardo's story. That's basically all we get about her. And then your observation was that she makes a lot of art of the male body. When they go to her show, you can see that her pieces are of hockey gear, like shoulder pads that have sequins glued all over them. And the reason why you know that that is her art and that is what it is, is because Biddy tweets about Shitty helping her glue sequins to things at one point. You also see in the blog post for that comic that her major work in that show is just like a giant painting of a male torso. And then elsewhere in a Kickstarter commission, you see that she is using Shitty as a model to paint another separate picture of some other male figure. So it does, and then she draws that dick, as you, uh, as you point out. So yeah, a lot of her art is about the male body. And again, this is all constructing ideas that the reader is left to place themselves. But I don't know that we know enough about her to do that with any kind of certainty. Like, there's a million different reasons why somebody would want to concentrate on the male body. Is it implicit critique of the male gaze? Is it something else? I don't know. I think that's one of the things that's interesting about Lardo is you can read this in so many different ways and you can make arguments about why she would or wouldn't want to explore this. Uh, And I think most of those potential readings are compelling because stories about why people make art are compelling. But I think when I think about the details that we have about Lardo, which are concretely shown in the comic, I just find this 
a part of a somewhat depressing pattern where her story is not about her. Her story is kind of about shitty and kind of about the team and kind of about how her art impacts people on the team. But because we don't ever hear anything about her from her own perspective, this art and the fact that it centers around men's bodies and particularly apparently Shitty's body could be a really compelling and interesting thing, but then turns into, well, Lardo's story is so completely about, in some ways, men. Obviously, that's complicated. Although, I mean, I think you could make arguments about it. But anyway, it just makes me kind of sad that like all of her story and the way that she's constructed is about this hockey team. It's really not about her. And it's a bummer. Even though I, too, really like her as a character. I think I'm frustrated because I think she could be such a cool character. And I have all these ideas about who she is as a character and why she's doing these tongue-in-cheek, hilarious paintings of obvious dicks in hotels. I think that's great. But I want to know more about what Lardo thinks about that. And the lack of that is sad to me. It almost feels like, you know, she's just a bro, so she thinks dicks are funny. But she can't be a bro just like shitty's a bro. You mentioned that the fact that she's not white or cis male is not addressed in the comic at all. To the extent that Biddy thinks that these stories are about a big tall white dude, which could be really interesting, but feels strange. All right, so one thing that's said about Lardo in back here is... Lardo was not developed concurrently with Shitty, but I knew that I wanted them to be friends, that Lardo would be a small bro, and that she would have an awful nickname. Whereas some of the boys' voices are generically bro-y, Lardo's was pretty specific in my mind from the get-go. I'm relatively certain somewhere that it is just outright stated that like, yeah, she is a bro. She is a bro the way that like these other guys are bros. That the joke is that she embodies the er bro, even though she is the least likely candidate to be that sort of person. But we don't see it. I mean, I fully understand that you are not the person who has written this. And I'm just... Yeah. Saying. Oh, it's actually in the blogs. It says, Lardo is just Lardo. She's the broiest person at Samwell under 5'5". Five five. But we never actually see that about her. And there's something delightful about someone getting their BFA and thinking, haha, this dick is funny. And at the same time, because there's so little other characterization for her... That kind of sucks. I mean, just to be clear, I have said many times while recording this episode that I like Lardo, and I do. I'm super fucking fond of her. I do not think that a small Asian woman who is very broy and expresses it through belching and like drinking like a champ is an especially clever characterization or conceit. I think everything I like about her is the potential in her that is unlocked in a lot of fan works and that exists in my head. I think most of it is not there within the actual comic. I think that's true for me too. I also really feel that no matter how bro-y somebody might be, it is just not possible for her experience I believe, take me with a grain of salt, as 
a Vietnamese woman could possibly be identical to Shitty's experience. No matter how broy she is naturally, no matter how much she loves talking about dicks and playing pong and like fucking around with the boys and sitting on the roof and making fun of Jack and whatever, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, sure, all of those things could be true. And yet her circumstances are gonna be just slightly different. And I find the fact that that difference isn't touched on to be really frustrating. And I think this is in keeping with the conversation we we started uh, a couple episodes ago, thinking about like how our identities being thought about and constructed in this comic, to think about the fact that her her experiences aren't addressed. And I'm not saying that they need to be addressed in deep, thoughtful ways, or maybe at all. Um, there are reasons that maybe you wouldn't want to touch on this with a character, but because it isn't replaced with anything else, it just feels flat and frustrating to me. My cat has just made a very big noise. Oh, he is getting into something. What are you doing? He's sitting there very elegantly. You want to say hi to your Uncle Tomato? He turns away. <laughs> Back to podcasting. So I am not Asian. Somebody else can speak to this position better than I, I'm sure. But something that I am aware of is the fact that Asian women have stereotypically been constructed a certain way through Orientalist tropes as these dainty, pure emblems of a certain kind of placid beauty. And it is interesting, not necessarily good, also not necessarily bad, but interesting that Lardo, somebody who represents this trope, is being characterized, albeit badly, as somebody who subverts the trope. She's like burpy and she parties hard and she's broy and paints big dicks and says things like sup and things like oh god what does she say in this she says she tells shitty that like that slow is rank and then shitty says your face is rank and then she says your rank is rank so it's like you know she can she can give back you know she can like bro around with the bros this is like really i keep saying that like the writing in this comic is not very good this is like what i'm talking about by the way so she can basically participate on this level of like fratty discourse that you wouldn't expect somebody who looks like her to participate on. So in some way, it's subverting an expectation for the kind of person that she's supposed to be or would be built up as in certain kinds of texts. But again, it's never really followed through on, like, what the meaning of that is. We never hear her talk about what it is that she always felt like she was supposed to be or what it is that she always wanted to be. She doesn't really have a plot or a story. There's no through line on her character. We have no idea what she wants other than to date shitty. 
We have no idea why she came to Samwell, which we eventually know about the rest of the hockey team. I guess if you take the point that they're on the hockey team, we know why they came to Samwell. It was to be on the hockey team. But I mean, you know, in more detail, we find out more about why Shitty chose it, why Jack chose it, why Biddy chose it. We also don't know how she became the manager of the team. I think this is where my frustration about her construction becomes most clear to me. I love the idea of Lardo, but it seems to me a continuation of what happens. And I too am not an Asian woman. So I I am also not talking from someone who has an experience that mirrors Lardo's or has anything really in common in terms of like my identity construction with Lardo in, in some ways. But the, the sidelining of a Vietnamese woman to further the emotional storylines of the white men in the comic really bums me out for this reason. Because of the way that Asian women have been treated in Western media, specifically American media, and the role that like East Asian women and Southeast Asian women tend to play in those pieces of media, it's not that I think this is purposefully done at all. And I think there's at least a nominal attempt to avoid this by giving Lardo this broy personality or allegedly broy personality, which we don't see that much of. But I don't think it's successful. Like, I think ultimately Lardo is silent and different than the rest of the crew, but not in a way that's explored. And what little story we get about her is centered around shitty. And I think that that's too bad. I don't think it's purposeful, but I think that it is a bit of a disappointment because of this legacy of East Asian and Southeast Asian women in media who are not treated with a holistic arc of their own. I also, if I had to guess, I would guess that Ngozi is not thinking along these lines, possibly because it's just like way out of whack with the concerns of this actual comic. But slightly before our lifetimes, the United States of America had a colonialist uh, intervention, let's call it, into Vietnam. And the way in which that culture was depicted versus the way in which the U.S. was, was depicted as an intruder over there, as a kind of gendered context, is um, kind of interesting. Right. Our favorite comic, Doonesbury, has some context about that in it. Right. I mean, yeah, precisely. Both thinking about this specific context and then the context of U.S. interventions in Southeast Asia more broadly and how troubling that has been. P.S. guys, it's really bad. And then when you think about like the way that that has led to the construction of Southeast Asian identities in the U.S. and the way that American understandings of specifically Vietnamese identity and then like children of people who came during that period, there's just a really complex history here, which leads to a very tricky situation. And again, I like Lardo and I'm excited by her as a character, but because it seems like she's not so carefully constructed, perhaps, or at least like she's not constructed with these things in mind, it's not that I think it's done purposefully, but there are gaps in her story, which because of this history, the fact that Lardo ends up having this narrative which is not centered around her own experience in the comic, unfortunately points at 
that history, probably not purposefully. And yet that's the impact for me, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I guess I just want to sort of round this up by making the point that we're kind of skirting topics that like, I don't think actually have anything to do with Shaq, please. But if Lardo had a story to talk about or some kind of arc, then we wouldn't be sitting here basically trying to think around the issue of what is this particular character doing in this comic and what does it mean that she is the specific person who's here rather than talking about what she does in the comic which again just to be clear is fall in love with a man move in with him and that's it right all of this is sort of getting at something that came up recently through an ask that we received about whether or not check please is uh, misogynistic this ask took our supposition in a previous episode about whether or not check please is homophobic for a certain sort of systemic condition of homophobia and said, well then, isn't it also misogynistic? And, you know, I think it's kind of harder or more difficult to use that language here because it is a text created by a woman or at least somebody who's working in the social construction of womanhood. But if you take what we know about the way that women and or femininity are constructed in check plays. You do not get a super challenging, super innovative take on what it means to be a woman, to be womanlike, or to be feminine. Femininity is associated in check plays with vulnerability constantly, but a sort of hysterical take on it. The one place at which uh, Lardo seems to have a specific reaction to something is where we're at her BFA show and Shitty finds out that he got into Harvard and she runs out of the room crying. We also see Biddy, who is constructed in a feminine mode pervasively throughout this comic and increasingly toward the end of the comic, Biddy is constantly dissolving into tears, just like crying. Not a lot in year one, I've noticed. He seems to be holding it together a lot more in year one. And maybe like a charitable or a really positive reading of Check Please would make the case that the longer Biddy is at Samwell and comes out to people and like learns about himself, the more he allows himself to become open and express his emotions purely without the burden of toxic masculinity holding him back. You could make that reading. But also he just like constantly is like losing it, like hysterically losing it, especially in years three and four. He's just fucking crying in every single goddamn strip. Men do not cry that much, or at least cis men who have a normal amount of testosterone in their bodies do not cry that much. And I'm not saying that from like any kind of essentialist perspective. I'm saying that from the perspective of somebody who has spent an inordinate amount of time reading about what testosterone does to the human body. I would even go so far as to say that almost nobody, and I say this as someone who just today texted you and was like, I have to watch chef's tables for a class and I'm crying about it. So I cry pretty easily. I don't cry as much as Biddy cries, and I cried at chef's table. So, like, it's a real construction 
of a certain kind of, I love the fact that you use the word hysterical because I think that's exactly what it is. Hysterical, either femininity or effeminacy. And, and that's something for another day, but that is associated with performative vulnerability that maybe I don't have an end to the sentence. Is it misogynistic? I don't feel as able to be like, yes, it's misogynistic. But what I will say is that thinking about the way that femininity, effeminacy, feminine identity, quote unquote, like whatever that is, and womanhood are constructed in the comic, it's not not misogynistic. It's not pushing against or questioning assumptions that people might make about the set of characteristics that tend to be associated with a particular word like womanhood or femininity. And if you're not working against that set of characteristics, attributes, and thoughts, you're at least not questioning things that act alongside misogyny in the world. But all of this goes back to this sort of very difficult to answer in any kind of objective sense question. If something that is patriarchal and heteronormative is constructed through the lens of two men doing it, is it not in and of itself subversive and destabilizing the sort of patriarchal, misogynist, homophobic, systemic thinking that makes it homophobic, misogynist, etc., patriarchal, when it's a man and a woman. And like, I think probably from listening to this episode and listening to like other episodes we've done recently, you can probably guess where I fall on this. But it's not something that's easily resolved because within the sort of gender and sex studies community, you have people who are of different minds. And unfortunately, a plurality means you have a plurality of opinions and some of those are going to make the case that a comic that depicts a young, effeminate, slight blonde man bursting into tears about nothing is actually striking a blow against gender essentialism. But like, just to be clear, the end of this comic is the more traditionally masculine character getting down on one knee and proposing with a ring. Right. And he's the one who has a full-time job. The other one's job is baking. And then the final ending after they agree to get married and are living together in premarital sin or something, we see the character whose job is baking continue to fulfill certain expectations by acting in a nurturing manner, not only to his hubby, but also to the entirety of the Check, Please Reading audience. But we'll get to that later. We'll talk about it when we get there. Literally the very last comic. Yeah, also Jack asks Biddy's parents for permission to marry him. Oh my god, I blocked that out. I just completely forgot that happened. I'm right, correct? Yeah, you are. Well, that's great. I feel nice about that. That feels wonderful. I'm sorry. That makes me want to fucking throw something. I know actual people who have done that in real life. And I feel so bad for my friends who had to see the look on my face when they told me that. My old roommate asked my other old roommate's parents and... 
I didn't say anything about it when I found out about that. That doesn't surprise me at all, but it is shocking. It is shocking the extent to which the world, yes, continues to be patriarchal and misogynistic in small little ways and large obvious ways, but in all these tiny little cruelties that you rarely even notice, that is how embedded they are in everything. And And yes, they get expressed in check please as well. They are not only expressed in check please, they are embraced in check please much of the time. And I think that's where that question for me comes from about is this comic homophobic And then the follow-up question, is this comic misogynist? Yes and no, depending on who you ask. But I think we can all agree that Check, Please, much like it is not an experimental text, is not really a particularly disruptive text. Maybe it unshackles the characters from toxic masculinity. Great. But it doesn't disrupt, for me at least, the processes by which toxic masculinity is created. I mean, I would happily just state that it does not unshackle anything from toxic masculinity. The mere existence of somebody like Biddy or the mere tolerance for somebody like Biddy on a hockey team at a small liberal arts college does not end toxic masculinity. But okay, more we'll talk about it when we get there slash we've been talking about it this whole time because we're in it now. The last thing we've got written down here is that um In the blog post Ngozi has written, I just wanted to point out that Shitty is wearing a hastily modified NASCAR t-shirt in the last panel. That's because in addition to dressing like he's in an alternative rock band, Shitty also dresses like he's trailer trash and not like he's effing loaded and went to Andover. Yes, I'd love to point out that, yeah, no shit. Um, It's ironic. And by 2014, hipster fashion... And I'm using that term very loosely, but also connected to a wider academic discourse about what the hipster is slash was, had uh, basically reclaimed things like deconstructed NASCAR t-shirts in order to make a point about, you know, co-opting the visual and cultural and stylistic markers of like white trash and trailer trash aesthetics to basically underscore the dominant urbane neo-bohemian cultural milieu. Like this process started in like 1999. But if you think about what is hipster fashion, it's all of these things that are like inherently retro, mid-century, trashy, banal, profane. And those things have all become so reclaimed. We're all so wearing horn rim and cat eye glasses at this point that you don't even notice that it is a deconstruction. But yes, those things were all considered deeply outmoded in the late 90s and early 2000s when they were sort of reclaimed by the dominant social set. So it's not funny. He's just wearing what cool, in a corporate commoditized sense, people wear in the 21st century. The only reason I was really thinking about it in any depth here was because 
of conversations I've been having recently for various life reasons about the construction of Southeast Asian identity and the association of Southeast Asian identity in the U.S. with criminality and socioeconomic class assumptions. And just because we were talking about Lardo and how she's constructed in the comic and because she has a Southeast Asian identity, I thought it was like an interesting thing that occurred to me that had never occurred to me before in quite this way. Uh, in the way that Shitty's adopting of quote-unquote trashiness is a luxury that he's afforded by his having gone to effing Andover, you know? To be fair, I think at this point, the way that Shitty dresses is now just the vernacular. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I don't disagree with you, but there's still like a socioeconomic class associated with it that makes it cool or fine. For me, I think someone who is working class wearing an outfit of like what Shitty's wearing versus Shitty wearing what Shitty's wearing, there's a different meaning associated with that. There is, because when somebody who truly lives in a trailer is wearing a hastily modified NASCAR t-shirt, they're doing it probably, probably because they like NASCAR, or at least if they were seen wearing one and they were easily identified as somebody who like lived in a trailer park, it would be presumed that they were wearing it because they sincerely liked NASCAR. Shitty is entirely in a social context, where it can pretty much be presumed more or less safely that he doesn't. So it's an aesthetic of irony. Right. To underscore his class status. Right, and, exactly. Yeah, I mean, this is, a, this is a long, long discourse. The irony of how you dress is based on an understanding of what context you're coming from. So everybody at Samwell knows that, like, because he's a liberal arts student at Samwell, Shitty is obviously dressing a certain way to, like, affect a certain style. I think, you know, if Lardo were to wear this kind of clothing, honestly, probably, like, in the context of being, like, a fine arts student at Samwell, it would be fine. Some other sort of venue the meaning would change. Right, right, right. And I, I think in the context of Samuel, exactly, she could wear the same thing and it would have a similar effect. But I just have been having a lot of conversations recently with people about that particular construction of identity. And I hadn't noticed last time I read this. So I just thought it was interesting. I don't know. I mean, I think the point about like the way that shitty dresses and also the fact that like Ngozi is calling it out, it almost seems like she hasn't really thought about why he would dress this way. It seems like she is just sort of thinking to herself like, oh, what would somebody like Shitty be wearing? Oh, I've noticed that even though a lot of these people I knew at Yale are really rich, they just wear like junk. And it's like, yeah, you know, of course. He probably has the time to go into a thrift store, find the perfect shirt, take it home, make it look the way he wants it to. Right. Curate, to curate his trashiness. I get the sense that, like, she hasn't really spent a lot of time thinking about this. And maybe it doesn't really matter. Certainly Biddy's not wearing a deconstructed NASCAR shirt, so really, why should we care? (sighs) 
Seven Biddy, you guys. I mean, Biddy is like the least. Truly, I guess what I'll say about Biddy in this particular strip is other than the fact that he's talking to the fucking oven, which he's given a cutesy lady name, which again is just one of the elements of Chuck plays that I'm just like, ugh, okay. Biddy is truly just an outsider proxy to learn about Lardo in this strip. He's not doing anything. He's not impacting anything. Nothing about his story is being expanded. He's just a vehicle through which characters feed information about who Lardo is because she's just showing up for the first time. And that's this strip. Next time, we are going to be looking at Hockey Ship with Ransom and Holster number four about butts where we will get a chance to find out more about our favorite thing in the comic, Jackson Roman's butt. The reason we've all been here for so long. The only part of a body that has its own tag. Am I excited? I think I'm excited for at least one shot that I remember. I think we'll have a lot to say. And let us know if you want us to get a Patreon, I guess. Would you like a shirt that says, we'll talk about it when we get there? I want a shirt that says, we'll talk about it when we get there. So we should think about that. Maybe we should just make shirts, you know, for you and me. I have been secret OMG. If you decide you'd like to find out more about me or what I do, come visit at Camillier, C-A-M-I-L-L-I-A-R at Tumblr, or I've got fan fiction on Familiar on AO3. What about you? Yeah, if you want to hear what I've already written or thought about Jack's butt, you can find me at tomatorights.tumblr.com or on AO3 at tomato underscore greens. And you can find our, (laughs) what is this podcast? You can find this thing that you're listening to at checkdispleased.tumblr.com or on Podbean or on Spotify. The Apple validation sequence has been started, but I have to do a bunch of stuff that I haven't done yet. So that'll come eventually. But, you know, in the meantime, you can listen to us on those other platforms. (laughs) 